Ah, yes. Welcome back to the Sunday Pod. I'm Alexander Garrett. And uh, right now, we've got a very special guest on the line. His name is Dustin Lawson. And uh, Dustin, first of all, welcome to the broadcast, the podcast today. Thanks for having me. So you you were a former speechwriter and uh, for the White House. And I think the most remarkable thing about your story and the Logos Party, which is what we'll get into, is that you took the furlough to really reflect on, on the government, it seems like. You took the shutdown that you were affected by and turned it into something creative. Yeah, I mean, I had a whole month, and you can't you can't leave D.C. really because you never know when you're going to get that call that says come back to work the next day. So I just had basically four weeks of sitting at home. I didn't want to watch Game of, all of Game of Thrones. I was sitting there doing a lot of reading and just reflecting on the state of the two-party system that had forced this to happen a, a month the longest government shutdown in the united states history and it just it provoked me into putting pen to paper and and let me start with because i'm a big i'm a big uh, history guy and i love that you love seeing the documents the, the declaration of independence constitution and uh by the way in case you're interested in 2020 november of next year they're going to actually put in a copy of the declaration at the New York Public Library. So if you wanted to shoot up to open for the ad opening, oh, that wow. would be yeah, awesome. Definitely. Definitely. On Fifth Avenue. But but I think the most astonishing thing right now, reading about the Logos Party, we'll get into that, is that the Constitution went into effect in 1789, and you write by 1796, what, that's, six, that's uh, seven years later only, two opposing yeah. major political parties have been created. How did it take so yeah. quickly? Well, there was, um, I mean, President Washington's cabinet wasn't very big. There was, and then his vice president wasn't even really part of it, John Adams. But they, Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson became so divisive with each other that they started actually using the local media to, for their own propaganda to fight each other in the media. And they, and they developed parties. First, um, John Adams and Alexander Hamilton created the Federalists and by 1792. And then to combat that, wanting a smaller government, Alec, or Thomas Jefferson and um, James Madison formed the Democratic Republicans. So by the end of the second term, there was already these two divisive parties, and Washington was frustrated with it. He didn't like the idea of parties because he feared what it would become. And in his, in his farewell address, he spent a large portion speaking out against the nature of the two-party system because of what it usually becomes, which is just two divisive dogmatic parties that sacrifice democracy for the sake of their party. And Dustin, speaking of democracy, I know while while many of your peers were shut down because of the shutdown were furloughed, and it's just amazing to me that you're thinking about George Washington while everybody else is like, hey, wait a minute, why am I out of a job? This is unfair. But I like that you took this time to really dig into our history, and I know you've had a love of it before even getting to the White House as a speechwriter, but the the other thing about all of this is that uh, tell me about that why why were you so inspired during the shutdown to dig mm-hmm. into the history um i well I, I had spent a day with senator john mccain on my last deployment in kosovo in 2017 and i just he he had died 4 months earlier than the shutdown i just saw the contrast between the type of politics that he tried to promote and especially in 2008 when he was the Republican nominee, his first choice was a Democrat, his friend, Joseph Lieberman. So he wanted to give America a bipartisan ticket and create that kind of intellectual diversity being embraced. But his party 
threatened to revolt. And so I just saw that, that idea dying. And I was like, you think as we progress that we should become more and more enlightened, but it seemed like dogma was taking over more and more of our politics. And so I just felt compelled to write something that was reflected the idea of um, the kind of intellectual diversity and bipartisanship that McCain had wanted to give the country in 2008, uh, that I saw it was dying. And and now you are a logism. This is this is the most fascinating. Out of this shutdown, out of meeting John McCain, you've become a logism, part of the Logos Party. Now you say it's satirical, but I think you have a lot of real things about it that doesn't make it so satirical. Well, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, it started off satirical. I made a website for it. And I was just like, this is what I wish our politics was like. But then when I got laid off by the the White House because of it kind of put a fire to my belly to write a book about it and make it a little more serious. And I mean, it's not like a party that's open for membership, at least not until after the next election. Right now, I basically want to say, look, the two parties are usually platform-based. They're built around a left or right-leaning platform of policies. That's fine. But underneath the platform is a foundation that they're built on. And the foundation is how we how we form our beliefs and hope in the logos party focuses on the foundation and it tried to create a foundation of what reason is so if you if you claim you're a person of reason this is what you have to reflect in how you think it doesn't mean your beliefs it have to be a certain way but this is the method of how you think and basically to summarize what i think reason is is that a person of reason is someone who admits there's room for doubt so they're one intellectually humble enough to admit they could be wrong. They challenge their own beliefs, not just everybody else's. They welcome other people challenging their views, and they genuinely see their worldview as a work that's always in progress, so their mind is open to being changed. Now, Develop the rule. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's the other line you talk about the two-party system is where you say two-party systems. And by the way, he's written a book called The Logos Party. The book is out, right, uh, Dustin? Yes. Yeah, it came out about 10 days ago. I tried to hurry up for the publicity summit. Congratulations on, on that publishing. I know it's tough to write one, but I'm glad you got this through. Because, as you say, independents need to roar, and I it sounds like you believe you can help make that happen. I do. I, um, I feel with my background as a communicator and in creative writing and with the connections I've made that I that I can uh, I can have an, I can have an influence and hopefully the more interviews I do and the more people I get connected around the idea of trying to take dogma out of the conversation and insert reason into the foundation of the conversation that we can get to a place where intellectual diversity is embraced and people of different opinions are not seen as enemies but as allies because as Thomas Jefferson wrote difference of opinion leads to inquiry and inquiry to truth and so I feel that's just a much healthier place for democracy to be, because I believe democracy, if you look at the history of it, it was born in ancient Greece during their vibrant intellectual culture, and then it was reborn during our the age of enlightenment during the 1780s. So it seems like democracy is born in reason, but I that which leads me to believe it probably dies in dogma. And talk about that, because you're talking about dogma's dope. Talk about that for a minute. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I have I create a fictional person who comes to visit me during the government shutdown named Dr. Democracy, and he is just basically the personification of all the great political thinkers of history. And he visited me during the shutdown and gave me a diagnosis of American democracy by comparing all the different 
systems of democracy to a human body. So like the constitution is the, the skeletal structure that gives democracy its form and holds it together and then so on and so on. And he said that um, the body of American democracy, it works, it, it thrives on truth. And dopamine in the human brain is that reward motivated chemical that gets released to help us pursue a prize. And in the body of American democracy, the dopamine is reason that helps us pursue truth. And then he, he compares um, that chemical. He says the body of American democracy is taking the drug of dogma, which is blocking that and making us care more about our opinion of the truth than truth. And we, we want to feel so certain that we're right, that we're not no longer intellectually humble enough to admit we could be wrong, and so it's just hurting the whole system of the, the body of American democracy. So, and, and by the way, the most interesting thing, another interesting thing you wrote about, by the way, is how you say that these parties are now focused on that and the other one has to be defended at, defeated at any cost, even though that cost is electoral integrity, democracy, and truth. Now, I know you're in the White House, and you might have been on the opposite spectrum of some of your colleagues, but I, I feel like because you are a small government, you also have some conservative leanings as well. But tell me, sure. uh, do, do you feel like what the Democrats are doing here is is also adding to what many people believe Trump is doing, which is the end of democracy? Do you feel like the Democrats are are um, adding that with the impeachment? Do you feel like Trump is right when he says they are eradicating all these people's votes by challenging the win with, through impeachment? Um, I'm not sure if I'm informed enough to truly say, I mean, I have, I guess I have an opinion, but like I said, I'm a, my, my knowledge is, is limited on the subject, but I do think that the Democrats are also part of this. I mean, this is how I think, um, people, the, the biggest misconception about reason, I think, is that people think if you think the way I do, you're a person of reason. If you think differently than I do, you're irrational. And I think that's how dogma thinks. A person of reason is um, someone who is intellectually humble enough to admit they could be wrong. But I think the two, the two parties, especially in Democrats as well, it might be lean more one way or the other on any given time or whoever's in the administration. But it's been a mutual um, self-destruction of our gradual fallen ranking of our democracy. Well, I have to ask you as an as an independent. Um... And by the way, the way you have this whole book lined out that we are part of, it's like a skeletal system. Uh, you can brief us on that really in a bit. But Ross Perot, was, were you, a, you were obviously a fan of his because of his independent streak. Would you Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, looking back, I was eight years old, 92, so I wasn't a big, uh, big into politics then. But looking back, I'm definitely a fan of a strong third party. I think right now, oftentimes, a third party is more just a spoiler who they might not have a chance of winning themselves. They just spoil it for one side or the other. But I still think it's necessary to in, in, induce, not induce, but uh, bring in another opinion like that to just shake up the system because we get so stuck in our ways that we think this is how it's always got to be. It's got to be Democrats and Republicans. But Well, and well, that's kind of why this, why this pod exists, because I want to bring fish, fresh faces, fresh voices into the conversation on Sundays. You know, and I know we watch Sunday TV shows and all the talk shows have the same talking heads from the Democrats and Republicans. And I'm, I'm sure you're tired of that just as much as I am. 
Uh, yes, very much so. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, I, I prefer to, honestly, I generally prefer to talk to people that disagree with me. And, but I like to talk to people who disagree with me, who themselves are also intellectually humble enough to admit they could be wrong. Cause then that's reason with reason, not, not dogma versus dogma or dogma versus reason. And I just think, yeah, if we listen to the same heads, talking heads over and over again and hear the same message, we begin to lose sight of the reality that things can be different. You think it's just the way it's always got to be. And by the way, I'm sure you're wondering how Dustin Lawson, who was a former speechwriter at the White House, lost such a big gig at the White House, and it was because he was speaking out. And do you feel like that was an unfair firing? Um, I mean, it was a political appointed position, so I knew going into the job that I had no job security, and they didn't. And if they let me go, they didn't have to tell me why, which they didn't. So it's my assumption that this is why, because on July 23rd, I received an email from a, a radio show that was upset with me for promoting a fake political party, and said they and threatened to contact the White House if I didn't cease and desist. And then three days later, I got fired. So I assume they made good on that threat. And um, fair, I don't know fair and unfair. I just think if I was them and I had seen the Logos party, I know this sounds a little arrogant, but I'm like, okay, that's a creative guy. Maybe we should bring him on and <laughs> and maybe use his skills instead of just automatically kicking him out the door. But well, especially it's, okay. if it's, not a, it's not the conclusion of the book. Well, especially if there's a conservative radio station that wants, you know, voices against the Democrats, I feel like independents still have an independent mind. So, of course, they're going to vote. They're right. going to voice their disagreement with the Democrats as well. I mean, we can't rule that right. out. No, definitely. I definitely am willing to voice disagreement with all sides. Well, and you know what's funny about this? You mentioned July 23rd. Of course, now the Zelensky-Trump call is July 25th. Right. I guess I have to ask, you weren't right. on that call, were you? I was not. It hasn't. That was no, no correlation that I got fired the next day. I didn't find out about that call on the 25th until two months later, like everybody else. Isn't that funny, though? Like, a day after that call, I mean, that's, no, yeah, that's unbelievable it timing. Yeah, it was, it was funny. <laughs> so now now that you're—now this has become your baby. You you had a conversation with to, sure. Dr. Democracy. Now, I don't yeah. know. I, I've never heard anyone describe it as, as something that needed— medicinal in a way medicinal care in, in a way but you feel like right. we are a sicker nation than we were when we started and dr democracy can help us with that uh yeah i like to i like to uh wrap my ideas in metaphors and i create i compared the body of compared our democracy to the human body to make body to make it more visual and also to help the reader realize that every part of democracy affects every other part, just like in our human body. So like, um, for example, the muscular system is the legislative and executive branches, the, the big, the chest and the arm muscles. But when one's in power, instead of um, working out the entire body, they just want to work out the right, or they just want to work out the left and they ignore the core muscles of compromise, which is really where the, the strength of our democracy comes and they prefer to let the other side wither and it's like if you want to hurt the other party you're hurting the whole body kind of thing that's the idea that i wanted to get across and i mean basically i mean i put the words in dr democracy's mouth that if dogma is the disease reason is the remedy and 
that's what he goes through. And the remedy to partisan dogma is a reason-based political party. And that's what I tried to develop. And I've been part of a thing called the Reform Party for a little bit. That did not take off as well as I hoped. But I tell you, right. you, you added another element to this, and I've never heard anybody describe this as a media ap- epidemic. But you feel like there is an epidemic within the media, and, and they're not going to call themselves on it. And they hate people who do, right. but just having it called an epidemic, I haven't heard that one ever in the in the fake news conversation. You mean propaganda? Yeah. I mean, I would say it's more in the social media realm. It is in the cable news realm, obviously. We see it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, one of the core principles of journalism is truth, truth is the preeminent goal, even if it contradicts your views. If you care about truth more than your opinion of the truth, then you want your own false ideas exposed so you can get rid of them and make room for the truth. But if you only care about your opinion of the truth, then you will build up barriers to protect that opinion, even if it's false. You don't want to, you don't want to be made aware. You want to protect it. Whereas if you truly care about truth and your personal reason, then you want even your own false ideas exposed, no matter how much hope they give you. Well, let's go away from, that, oh, sorry, go, sorry ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, finish. You can, uh, what were you going to say? And I just, I mean, it, it's a painful position to be in to to want your own views exposed if they're false. But with practice, it's a healthier position. And I honestly, I I, I appreciate it if my if my false views are exposed because you've helped improve my own thinking. And it sounds like you can have a reasonable conversation with anybody, and and uh, that's the thing we're lacking in society. No one wants to have a reasonable. Uh, conversation mm-hmm. now i don't even mean the plato reason or the sure, uh, sure. i just mean a reasonable like a hey right. let's find middle ground here we can't even do that forget about aristotle right. and plato for a minute we can't even do that right that's um like the, the idea of the logos there's a there's a chapter and towards the end you probably haven't gotten to it yet but it just it says two conversations and the first conversation is five different five different congressmen they all represent a different party, far left, left, center, center, far right, and center right. And they're all, they've all sat together and they're having a conversation, but they're all dogmatic and closed-minded, and they're only there to try and convince the other four. And the second conversation is those same five people and five more people who represent independent minds that reflect the idea of the Logos Party, and they sit down in between all those other five. And they say, hey, before we start our conversation, we're going to talk about the same topics, but let's just, before we talk about our platform, let's talk about the foundation. Under it. Let's, and then they describe what they think reason is, and they describe what they think intellectual humility is. And then they have the same conversation. And it's still heated, it's still, contra- still controversial, but there's a little more middle ground stability to it where people walk away actually understanding each other better. Because they weren't just, they didn't just spend the whole time trying to figure out how to convince everybody else that they're right and they're wrong. Right, and and that's the thing we have to not, we have to. Uh, it sounds to me like you're trying to say, don't say I'm speaking my truth, because that's just. I feel like if someone said that to you, you that's would hate opinion. that. You would hate that uh, being told to you, like, no, it's not your truth. It's what is the truth. Right. Yeah, I don't. When people say speak your truth, I say. I believe truth is objective, and if you say 
to the subjective, what you're saying is that that's just your opinion. And I say, hey, look, there's a truth out there. You might have it, or I might have it, or neither one of us might have it. But let's say that we're all, let's just agree that we're all on the search for that truth. And if it, and if in that path on that journey to it, it destroys our beliefs, one, then so be it. That's the, that's, that's the pain, the intellectual pain we go through of finding truth. But let's not defend our opinion. That's like, that's like dark ages thinking. We're, we're supposed to be the most enlightened country on the planet, which means we're all about progress and turning our politics into a laboratory of ideas like they did at the Constitutional Convention before and I, parties and, existed. Yeah, and I made that thought on my that, I made that on my podcast as well. I said, hey, listen, we have ideas. People were debating ideas back then in a healthier way. That's right. how we formed as a nation. Right. I mean, imagine if parties existed during the Constitutional Convention. They probably never would have created the Constitution. And he goes on to write— so divisive. And Dustin Lawson goes on to write that, well, say it, finish that sentence, because I think that's one of the most powerful things. I call, I call the Logos Party the party before parties, because in seventeen, the summer of 1787, when there was no political parties, major parties established yet, they had the Constitutional Convention and the Independence Hall, and 55 delegates from 12 of the 13 colonies, Rhode Island didn't send anybody, came to Philadelphia to, to what is now known as Independence Hall and brought all their different views. And I, I bet all different leanings were probably represented left, far left, far right, center, center right, center left, were represented in that room. And they brought all their different biases and state loyalties, but they checked dogma at the door and stepped into that room onto the same foundation of reason, intellectual diversity, compromise, because they wanted to debate all their different ideas turn that room into a laboratory of ideas and test everything, get heated, yes, but to compromise mutually across the board to find the best path for them. And when things got too heated, there was the even-keeled George Washington as the president of the convention to tamper down tempers and say, hey, this is the culture we need to maintain of intellectual diversity where we want all our different views voiced. And then four months later, the Constitution came out of it. So imagine if that was still the kind of culture, what kind of great documents and programs could we create and and you even go on to say that the amendment process still is necessary and i i have forgotten how much i appreciate the amendment process that changes could be made that this is a living breathing document some a lot of people may disagree with me and i, I don't know if you even yeah. do but uh thomas the, jefferson wrote every if every generation should change the Constitution or else they enslave the next generation, not maybe completely overhaul it, but kind of hinting at the amendment process being a good thing for each generation to say, hey, look at your current circumstances that we in 1787 could not foresee and adapt this thing to your generation. And why do you think people call it, don't, why, do people, why do you think some refuse to call it a living, breathing document? Because they just, they, they, are, they, they fear traditions being challenged or traditions as they see them in their head being challenged because change is not when when you when you come from a position of dogma change is dangerous to you but if you come from a position of intellectual humility could you raise the standard of evidence beyond certainty and dogma's reach so you're willing to admit room for doubt then you embrace change because with change comes progress yeah you might fall on your face and fail and make take long turns but You've now crossed off <laughs> options that you realize didn't work. What did um, Edison say? I know a thousand ways how not to make a light bulb. 
it's a laboratory where we test all these different ideas for the best path forward instead of being stuck with the status quo. Well, and, and by the way, I hope we have it for a few more minutes because I've got a couple more questions about all this because sure. you do talk about the spirit of party, and the reality is we are in a two-party system right now. So let's talk about Tulsi Gabbard because she's a unique one to me. She's calling out sure. her own party, and now Hillary's going after her. So it, it's it's interesting to see someone challenge that spirit yeah. of party, is it not? It is. I'm a big fan of people who call out their own because it, it shows more credibility. It's like I enjoy being challenged by people, but I want to be challenged by people who also challenge their own views because I trust they're challenging more because that shows I think they care more about truth than their opinion on the truth. And it just it, it shows a more, more nonpartisan credibility if you are willing to challenge your own like John McCain did all the time as well. And the three of you, Tulsi, John, and yourself, have something in common. You all fought for America in the services. So thank you, Dustin, for your service as well. Thank you. Also about Tulsi, she, uh, we went to the same officer candidate school at Fort McCall in Alabama. She was there two years before me, and I, I just survived it. I made it through it. I didn't get sent home. We started with 240. 100 people got sent home. Only 140 graduated. I survived and thrived. But she's the only woman to ever have graduated top of the class. Wow. And and look so how smart she is on the debate stage, too. What's that? Look how smart she is on the debate stage. I mean, she is blowing the top of all those other people up there. Yeah. There's a, a level-headedness there that um, I, I see her more as a person of reason who challenges her own. And she's been and she's more realistic. She's been in the in the fight, so she knows, hey, yeah, we like to spread our ideas around the world, but not at the end of a gun. It just doesn't seem to work that well. We need to go back to just spreading di- diplomatically. It's probably a far, 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 far better and more long-lasting path to take. And and you have to give Trump credit for that, right? So he doesn't really want to go to war. It sounds like, and he's doing all this monetarily. He's wiping out financial sectors of Iran, of Turkey, with these deadly sanctions. And yes, maybe he's rolled back something on Russia. I'm not sure. But they have done damage to Russia as well during this presidency. Mm-hmm. So Trump's tackled these countries with, with through sanctions, not through war. Sure. I would agree. I would, I would say um, his desire to end our foreign... Um, influence through uniform is is good. I uh, so many of our diplomatic um, missions have been replaced by soldiers, and I just I was in Kosovo um, for nine months, deployed there, and we it was a peacekeeping mission. So so much of what we did was diplomacy, but it's okay that it was always in a uniform with a weapon, a nine mil on my hip. But I think overall, just visually and culturally, it's it would be better if it was done by diplomats in the long term, I think. I agree. And we saw what talks could do with even with North Korea. I mean, and even walking out of North Korea made a statement as well. So I think we're seeing a different kind of approach. You haven't seen many airstrikes, maybe once or twice. But other than that, that's not been the M.O. of this Trump administration, which is different considering I remember when we went into Afghanistan to begin with, and that was a war, that was a fight I thought we needed at the time, but I just remember watching all the stuff, all the bombs going off, all the missiles, and that was something to watch on TV just two months after 9-11 had uh, tragically occurred. Yeah, I would agree. I would say now, 
um, the front line in, in foreign conflict, if you want to say, is probably besides diplomacy is development. The place I worked for, the Money and Challenge Corporation, they're on the front lines with China because so many countries around the world are, they have a choice. Do you want to take aid and help from America or China? And we, and like so many of my speeches were built around trying to decipher between the two models and say, hey, yes, it takes a little longer to get money from us, but that's because we vet you and put you through a process and hold you accountable to democratic standards and economic standards. But in the long term, we're giving you grants, not loans. We're standing beside you and helping empower you to control the programs, but whereas China is giving you a loan to, we call it debt trap diplomacy, and then they bring in their own people to run the programs, so not even hiring locally. So in the long term, yes, you can take a $500 million check from China right now, or you can take that same money from us as a grant over the course of the next five to 10 years and have a long, better long-term focus for you. So that, that, that's honestly the development is the front line in so many areas right now. And by the way, uh, as we're talking about this, I know Veterans Day is tomorrow, as I said, they're going to air on Sunday. So what what's that day like for you every time it rolls around uh, on Veterans Day? Well, I go get my free meal at Applebee's and then, <laughs> or, or Bob Evans. And then it's always, there's always a sentimental um, nature to it. On my deployment in Kosovo, they had me, my commander said, hey, um, write a speech for Veterans Day. And I wrote it about um, 9-11, bringing back that as well and just saying, kind of gave us a history, a short history lesson of going through everything that our country's been through and the vet, what veterans had done. And I mean, it, it got some of the soldiers, I mean, it brought them to tears and, and now myself you, as well. And say, you left your family so, yeah. at that point, right? You had, a, did you start building a family at that point? Uh, no, I, I don't have any kids and I'm not married. It's actually one of the reasons why I'm trying to separate or not trying to. I've recently separated from the military because there's been so many times where I met someone and then felt like I had to go deploy like two, three months later. And so it just felt like a this never-ending battle of, okay, do I want to try to actually meet someone at some point? It's really, I mean, m- many families can make it work. My roommate in Kosovo, him and his wife, she gave birth while we were, while we were there. And I, I made this 30-second video because I could hear, he couldn't make it home for the birth. He came home two weeks later to see his kid. But I could hear him on the other side of the room at night going, come on, honey, come on. And I walked around and he was sitting on his bed with his laptop up, helping her breathe through the, the labor. And I say, hey, ask your wife if it's okay if I film this. Not, not the actual her, but just from behind the computer. And he asked his wife, kids halfway out of her, and she stops screaming and goes, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Give him the thumb up. <laughs> and then goes right back to screaming. But it's like that I, I brought my phone out and filmed it just to kind of make a quick video to show families back home, people back home in the U.S. what it, what what soldiers go through and then can capture that. Wow. that is. Uh, is there any way that people can watch that? Or is that a private video? Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's not private. I put it, I put it on Facebook for everyone to see. It's on, it's on there now. I can, send, I can email you a link. That would be great, and I will share it on Veterans Day, actually, because that is such a moving moment. And uh, it's something—see, this is where—it's something that gets lost in society, that everybody focuses on 
leadership making the calls, but they never really say, hey, thank you for your service anymore because they're so angry at leadership for getting you guys in there in the first place. I think, and then of course government, when they come back, aren't treating vets as well as they could. But I feel like a story like that could say, hey, you know what? These are human beings and we have to be thankful for yeah. them every day and stop complaining about what leadership does. Just admire what these people are doing on the front lines and, and a seize, uh, overseas as a member of our armed services. Yes, I agree. There's some of that. I also, there's also still a lot of appreciation. I mean, I've come off the plane in uniform before and you get, I mean, it's almost uncomfortable, walk, awkward walking down the airport in uniform. So I try to avoid it, but I remember there's been a couple of times where like a four-year-old little boy just stepped away from his family in the, in the airport and came out in the aisle there and went to a position of attention and saluted me. And I mean, even though you don't salute indoors, a little four-year-old salutes you. I drop my stuff, go to the position of attention and salute him back. And I wish it was, I could find a video of it somewhere because it was, uh, yeah, it's moments like that that definitely sticks with the soldier that helps him, um, that he, he, he relies on in, in, in uh, tougher times. Absolutely. Now, you know, what's interesting is that, by the way, where can people follow Twitter, the Logos Party, and yourself on sure. Twitter? Uh, at Logos Party, capital L, capital P for Twitter. And then the website, www.logosparty.com. And the book is available on Amazon now as well. And uh, and so you used the furlough, used the military service, and you've also used the fact that you were, in your teen years, a lion keeper in in, in what Siberia is that where I read? Yes. That's um, amazing. I was a lion and tiger trainer in Ohio at an organization called the Siberian Tiger Conservation Association. It was about ten minutes from my house, and I met them when I was fifteen when they brought a lion and tiger cub to vacation Bible school where I, I was teaching vacation Bible school. And it was a safari theme, so the church asked me to bring a lion and tiger cub, and I met them. And then it took me about two months to talk to my parents and to let me work with them. And so for eight years. All through high school and college, I worked part time as a lion and tiger trainer. And what that what did that inspire you to do? Because you use the lion as the logo for sure. for yeah. logos. Um, yeah, definitely. The uh, I mean, a lion has been a big part of my life, and I in trying to come up with the logo for the party, I wanted it to be a lion. But a lion is probably the most used animal as a symbol in history. So to find something original, it took me a while, but. Towards the end of the furlough, I was going for a jog, and I was stopped in front of the Capitol building, and there's a statue of Ulysses S. Grant there, and he's guarded by four lion statues. And then I, that's when I had the idea of the four-headed lion of logic, two on the left being blue, and they protect against dogma from the political left, and two on the right being red, and they protect against dogma from the political right. And so it's the, the four-headed lion of logic that roars reason. The red, white, and blue four-headed line of logic that Lord's reason. And, and by the way, you found that at the Ulysses S. Grant to, uh, memorial or statue down yeah. in D.C. Yeah. on your run during yeah, the right. shutdown. Yes, yes. Kudos to you for honestly um, not throwing a you know I not throwing a hissy fit or throwing a fit during the shutdown. Oh, why is this closed? But you actually did something, dug deeper, and now you've come out with this book called the Logos Party. So kudos to you, Dustin Lawson, on that search and discovery. And I really am hoping your book launches. So thanks for joining me today on uh, the Sunday Pod with Alex Garrett. Hey, thank you for having me. It's been, it's been, a, it's been a privilege. And uh, as the days go on, come back on and let us know what, what's going on. Definitely. I will. Thank you so much.
I'm Alexander Garrett. Have a beautiful rest of your Sunday Jets-Giants today. I don't know who's going to win it. Someone called it a dumpster fire. I might agree with them. We'll have to see. I'm Alexander Garrett. Enjoy your Sunday.